the Egyptian mummies are like right on the borderline for me because it's like I can still tell who you are. It's a little weird. Um, <laughs> I can look at you and you can look at me and like yeah. I can be like I like what's up, Ramses? How you doing? Yeah. Um, so you're out I've done for that. like <laughs> I you're done out that. for like the Tolland man then. <laughs> oh yeah, no, hard, that is a hard pass. Hard pass on the bog bodies. Hard pass on anybody who died on an Arctic or Antarctic expedition. Hard pass. Um, Good to know. Yeah, no, I do bones. Bones only. Great. <laughs> no gross bits. <laughs> and that's something that people have told me needs to be on a shirt, so I might do that. Bones only, no gross bits. Yeah, no gross bits. No, there will be no squishy That's the parts. name of the episode. Yeah. yeah, that is the name of the episode. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this episode, we are going to talk about Egyptian archaeology, the influence of pseudoscience, and more specifically, the curse of King Tut. And to do that, we are joined by archaeologist and super fancy Emmy-nominated television producer Annalise. Annalise! Bear. I'm going to mispronounce it 80 times. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I respond to both. Hello. <laughs> We're going to get it right. Um, but yeah, Annalise, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I, well, I think I followed you on Twitter from somebody's recommendation and then later started following you on TikTok. But there's like, I don't know, there's, there's crossed stuff around there, but let people know where they can find you and a little bit about what you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's me. Um, <laughs> I am Annalise. I am an archaeologist and, uh, my day job, the thing that actually pays the bills is working in TV production. Um, I'm a producer and yeah, now I can say that I am Emmy nominated, which is super cool. Um, and Woo-hoo! can confirm it is an honor just to be nominated. Um, <laughs> But, and, and like, honestly, like, I couldn't have asked for a better experience with that because, like, not only did a show that I work on get nominated for an Emmy, we got to go to the Emmys, and oh. we had the supreme and eternal honor of losing to Anthony Bourdain. So, like, either oh. way, we were cheering. Like, either way, we were happy. And it's like, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, like, like if you're going to lose to someone, like, yeah, that's, it's like, that's fine. Exactly. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, other than that, um, I'm on the internet too much um, because my job, which is making TV, involves sitting in front of a laptop all day. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter. It's my name. I'm on Instagram. It's also just my name. And as of more recently, I'm on TikTok. And I, over there, I am Annalise the Archaeologist. And apparently people like what I do. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> and we will link to your website and all those accounts in the show notes so that people can easily get to where you are yes, and follow which you. Which again is on the internet too much. On the internet too much. <laughs> Entirely too much. And I guess so people know, which are the which are the shows that you were nominated for an Emmy for? Um, the big one um, was The Story of God with Morgan Freeman, um, wow. which was on National Geographic. And I believe you can watch all of the episodes on Disney+. Plus. Awesome. And then the other one was a YouTube series called Mindfield. Okay. Yeah. It got, uh, yeah, nominated for that. And I worked on that. So 
There we go. Yeah. That's awesome. Part of a team. It's all a big team project. Yes. Also, I have to mention that I did look on your website and like looked at your resume of all <laughs> the TV things that you have done. And I noticed that like one of your earliest things was doing some sort of like you were like an assistant or something for the guild. Oh, yeah. I was a PA. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That, oh, my gosh. That was wild. Um, so I don't know if... Uh, hey, Felicia Day, if you listen to this ever, what's up? Um, yeah, she's super cool. And it was just like one of those serendipitous things where like I I got like a super, super, super short gig working as an extra because um, mm-hmm. that's you know one of the many things you can do in life you need if you need so, if you need a job um, <laughs> you can get work as an extra um, and so I happened to be working as an extra on a show that she was w- working on as a guest star okay. and like afterwards like I you know I did the thing I just like went up to say hi it's like hi, I'm a huge fan um, and then we like chatted <laughs> for a second she was just like do you want to like you know would you want to come work on my show like be a PA and I was oh. like uh, sure um, and so I did that's amazing. Yeah, my well, both of our husbands have played excessive amounts of World of Warcraft, and so oh, so have I. I just I just <laughs> pre-purchased the new Dragonfly. Oh God! Oh, yeah, excellent. No. Uh, Paige, you've played more than me. I only played a little bit, but both yeah. my husband and I watched like all the episodes of the Guild and really loved it. So when I saw that, I was like, "Well, I have to ask about it." Yeah, <laughs> no, it was one of those again. It's just like you know, serendipitous alignment of planets and stars and yeah i mean i at this point i don't actually know how long i've been playing world of warcraft but um in the um not long enough oh no oh no i i've I've been there entirely too long um i you know i i can i can tell you stories of the of the old days because i i started playing towards the end of vanilla and yeah. I remember. I think that's when Steven started, right? Yeah, Paige? I think that's when I first started, too. I mean, yeah, I had no yeah. idea what I was doing because I was like eight or something. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you were like, my brother's doing it. So but I'm yeah, I wanted it. to be just like my brother. So I. Yeah. So that's when I started <laughs> like, playing, too. <laughs> the the memories I have scarred, in, scarred into my brain of having to walk my poor little character from one <laughs> island to the other, literally from Darnassus to Iron Forge, walk all of that just to get to the other capital city back in the day. And you didn't get a mount until you were 40. Oh my God. Yeah. Kids, kids these days. Kids these, kids these days, days. They don't know. They it's so easy. Yeah. Which is why it cracks me up that people are willingly going back to that with classics. I'm like, guys, oh, we can yeah. fly now. You don't have to do this. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I safe to say, I think both of our husbands will be very tickled that we have someone on the show who like, A, puts us one degree of separation from Felicia Day, but also who Ooh. plays World of Warcraft. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's me. Yay. Yeah, right now we're on a we're on a Lord of the Rings online kick with oh, the four oh, of us. That's, so. right. that's right. We are, I, but... Oh, I haven't played any of those. Uh, my last Lord of the Rings game experiences was the um, uh, GameCube. The movie games. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. I thought you were yeah. going to say the Lego games, which are also great. No. I mean, uh, adorable. Um, Lego games are adorable. Like, yeah, no, they're no, so no. adorable. We're going GameCube on this one. I was yeah. like, Elliot's actually playing World of Warcraft again right now. So <gasps> he's Elliot. back in. Amazing. <laughs> he's been sucked in. He's been sucked back in. 
I, I had to I had to put a pause on it because of work because it's like it's too much laptop time and I have yeah. to play on my laptop so it's just like I can't be staring at this laptop for additional hours. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. we can talk about video games <laughs> anyway. literally all day. Yes. Uh, but first, we're gonna do something spooky, uh, and then we will jump into Egyptian archaeology and and various other things. So. Yeah, Annalise, you have one that I'm intrigued about. No, <laughs> uh, me here. too. I'm very so I'm excited about this. Make you go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> tell us what was your something spooky. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, my something spooky is at least based on the definition that you guys, and gals, set forth in the notes. Uh huh. The show that I'm working on right now, um, is all about like '80s toys and nostalgia <gasps> and like pop culture and oh. stuff like that. So it's kind of like yeah. it's like a more serious. I love the '80s. Um, yeah, it's not as poppy. Um, but one of the things that I've been having to um, do research on is Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> um, and when I say, um, I think my browser is haunted. Um, <laughs> the, oh god, it's so creepy! It's so creepy. The little dolls and their weird little faces and they're um, cute. Oh, they're so Page terrifying! I really love dolls, and I really, really loved Cabbage Patch dolls when I was younger. Oh my gosh, it, it's. <laughs> <laughs> terrified the 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 current ones like when once they became cabbage patch kids it's like okay it's like you know it, this is a little cute they've got like you know little plastic faces it's cute or whatever but like the original ones the ones that were like they had like soft fabric faces um like haunted, hold on 100 oh, not this one now i'm gonna like, have to look them up I think I remember the soft fabric. I one. think I know what they looked like, but I wanted yeah, to be sure. Terrifying. We we regularly um, sent pictures of some of the dolls in the um, cursed cabbage patch dolls. Chat. <laughs> Just like nightmare, <laughs> nightmare fuel. Um, so that's that's my spooky thing. Excellent. I always wanted a cabbage patch doll when I was little, and then for whatever reason, never ended up getting one. I think they were kind of expensive. I don't know. Unclear. They were. I can tell you that they were. Yeah. <laughs> I know oh, far I- too much about Cabbage Patch Kids right now, and I can tell you that they were. <laughs> They're cute. You know, like, like, Paige, you think a lot of dolls that are definitely not cute are cute, though, so... Your yeah, opinion people people is... always ask me about like cursed things and like, you know, artifacts, <laughs> stuff we dig up on site, not cursed. Cabbage Patch Kids Egyptian. and other dolls, 100% cursed. 100%. I have a whole collection of porcelain dolls that my no. husband has told me I, I'm not allowed to take out of the box. <laughs> no, those haunted. Those are fully haunted. Like, that, that's an episode of Ghost Adventures right there, like 100% haunted. <laughs> Maybe I should do it then. Yeah, I think so. Good Lord. Okay, uh, Paige, do you have anything spooky this week? I don't. Nothing spooky here. No. I mean, it's not quite spooky season, so that makes sense. I mean... We're getting there, but it's not quite there. I would argue that it's spooky season as soon as it's September. (laughs) It's like the beginning. It's got to get started first. It's like a a slow start. (laughs) What about you, Megan? Yeah. So... I guess two things. My minor thing is that I just like continue to have the crap scared out of me by my daughter opening my office door behind me, like while I'm recording a podcast or while I'm playing a game or something and I don't hear it. And then she's like yeah. right there. <laughs> so I sort of am like living in fear that that's about to happen at any point while I'm sitting in my office chair. <laughs> 
you adds should, a real um, level of you terror. Do it. We do it. <laughs> when we used to work in offices, um, people would get little like, like bike mirrors, like rear view mirrors and like put them on the side of their computer monitors. Cause like we, you know, we always had those annoying, like creative open office plans or whatever. So you yeah. would basically be sitting with your back to the whole room yeah. and people would come up and scare you and surprise you. So yeah. Yeah. I sit with my back to the door, so I should do it. <laughs> More than more than five coworkers that I've worked with had little like bike mirrors on oh, those are the Oh, yeah, they're the best. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll get one. Yeah. Um, Pro tip. Yes. <laughs> My other thing is probably something spooky for Annalise, which <gasps> is that uh, what I put in the notes, which is that <laughs> everything that I know about ancient Egypt, which is not a lot, <laughs> comes from either... <laughs> watching the 1999 version of the mummy right uh and like whatever rabbit holes that sent me down with like with library books uh and probably your tiktoks (laughs) that is both great and terrifying Uh, um i will say the mummy 1999 is a fantastic place to start um great even though (laughs) as i recently discovered having rewatched it for another podcast that i did um Apparently, I'd never actually paid attention to the opening of the movie. It just was like, you know, like, in one eye, out the other. Like, this is nice. We're watching sure, Mummy. Sure. Good times. Um, I had to pause it 90 seconds in. And I was just like, what is happening? Oh, no. Wait, <laughs> why 90 seconds these... in? Oh, my God. That's a whole separate podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they just... They, they, combined like dates and places and time periods and people and just smashed everything together into one big no and it's just like oh guys come on yeah yeah there's also the yeah there (laughs) there are definitely aspects of it uh racially that have not aged super well in the last like every 90s movie unfortunately (laughs) it was a product of the 90s and it was set in the 20s so yes yes at the time like wouldn't have batted an eye watching it with like 2022 eyes i like i still love it you know i guess i'm willing to forgive it its sins but there are some parts where it's like "Mm, this is questionable oh no oh no (laughs) this is not great uh okay well anyway (laughs) yeah anyway it's gonna come up a lot because you don't understand how much i love that movie like brendan fraser was my childhood crush Oh my god, that movie is everything. No, that that (laughs) truly, when I say that that movie is everything to me, and you know, top top five favorite movies of all time, it's in the top three, really. Um, Yes, no, I love that movie. I adore it. Great, Uh, and how appropriate that we're like going through the Renaissance right now. So I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Uh, Okay, so we are going to start. I guess with like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, general mummification stuff before we get into more specific, uh, or I guess the more specific story of King Tut. And I'm sure Annalise has a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, yes. So Paige, do you want to start us out? Alrighty. Well, we'll get started, like Megan said, talking about mummification. So the the process of mummification is removing all of the moisture out of the body, leaving it dried and makes that which makes it far less likely to decay. The mummification process in ancient Egypt took only 
Well, took only. Took only. Days. I know. <laughs> Just like a, a cool seventy to ninety days. days, like whatever, you know, seventy to ninety ish yeah. uh, <laughs> 70 to 90 days um but most of that was allowing the body to sit covered and buried in a type of salt called natron to dehydrate it and this is my little rabbit hole that i went down about natron because i didn't know this and it was like oh a little geology moment here yes <laughs> shout out to lake natron <laughs> yeah natron is a mixture of sodium carbonate which is also known as soda ash and sodium bicarbonate which you might also know as baking soda or at least the synthetic form uh but so it's not the same as salt that you find in the ocean but it is a naturally occurring salt that occurs in dry saline lake beds. And these were mined by the ancient Egyptians in the, I don't know, Wadi El... How would you pronounce this? <laughs> um, my Arabic is horrible, but I can at least say that it's Wadi El Natron. <laughs> okay, natron. great. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, yeah. it's Natron. <laughs> yeah, also known as the Natron Valley. And I had no idea, but the chemical symbol for sodium, I mean, I knew what that was. It's N-A. Mm -hmm. N-A. But it comes from the Latin name natrium, which was derived from the Egyptian word natron. So huh. I Classical feel reception. like that's, that's a fun fact. I was excited yeah. to learn that and have a little chemistry geology moment for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's like the cool part of that. It literally the entire process is a fun chemistry moment. Okay. So the first mummifications were probably done by accident. There's stuff about like people getting wrapped up in furs and other things in desert environments and left in cool, dry places like caves. And they accidentally get mummified. This is the case for the oldest mummy that has ever been found, which was discovered in Spirit Cave outside of Fallon, Nevada. I had no idea it was in the US. I learned a lot <laughs> notes for this episode. But this was radiocarbon dated to be about 10,000 years old. The oldest known Egyptian mummy to be naturally preserved is about 5,500 years old. We are about to skip back and forth between like years old and BC... And I'm going to get really confused, but it's fine. It's totally okay because I, I literally hop between BC, BCE, 88, whatever, because um, yeah. one, time is a construct. Two, dating is a construct. Three, <laughs> calendars are a construct. And um, honestly, like you can't even go by the ancient dating systems because that was dated to the reign of the pharaoh. So like that doesn't even matter anymore. So it's just yeah. like whichever one works for you. Um, honestly, like as dumb as it is, BC 80 just helps me keep a mental timeline straight right. in my mind. Right. Um, and BCE, CE is, you know, for like publications or whatever. Yes. <laughs> so intentional mummification began around 7,000 years ago, uh, which is about 2,000 years before the first Egyptian mummies with the Chinchoro people who lived in what is now the Camarones Valley in Chile, which is now, which is located in the Atacama desert. But the intentional practice of mummification in ancient Egypt began around 3500 BC. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Well, uh, the reason people were mummied, uh, mummified and became mummies um, was because according to the Egyptian 
belief in the afterlife and cycle of life, de- life death, and rebirth, you needed to have a preserved, a, a physical body, an intact physical body for your soul to come back into because you would come back to life and be able to enjoy your afterlife that way. And if you didn't have a body to come back to, your soul would just kind of be aimless and it wouldn't work. Gotcha. So that explains why they also get buried with a lot of things. So that they have things yes. for their afterlife. Yes. The idea was that you you would have a a life, a whole and entire life in your afterlife with all of your favorite stuff, your furniture, your, you know, you could take some pets with you if your pets died. Um, yeah, favorite food, board games, clothes, everything you could possibly need in your life. And you'd actually have, uh, help too, cause you'd be buried with little, these cute little, uh, statuettes called Ushabtis, which were basically like your little helpers, and they'd have a spell on them, and you would read the spell, and they would come to life and do stuff for you. So, you know, basically like the help. And they would, you know, take care of the fields for you, take care of the house for you, so you could just like chill and enjoy your afterlife. And someone else would like tend to the fields and like amazing. Feed your cows and wash your dishes and stuff. It's like and you could just chill. So in ancient Egypt, the concept of you can't take it with you does not exist. <laughs> Correct. You can take it with you. And and how? In fact, take, you know, more than one because you're probably going to need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like mostly distressed about the animals, though, because like, were they buried after with them or did oh, but they... it was, it, it's it's okay it's okay it's all okay because for the most part people's pets like predeceased them obviously um well true. and okay. it was because they wanted to take their beloved pets with them into the afterlife so they would make sure that like their cat or their dog was you know mummified correctly and you know essentially given all the appropriate funerary rites so that their pet could be with them yeah. okay that's sweet yeah uh, yes. And uh, like, yeah. I would be lying if I did not like burst into tears at like every rainbow bridge thing that I ever see posted online. So <laughs> yeah, no, see the, the, the Egyptians figured out they're just like, no problems. Like it's all going to be okay. Cause we will all <laughs> literally be physically <laughs> together in the afterlife and it's all good. Um, and that's Great. what people did. Like they, they, they took their beloved pets with them because again, it's like, you know, dogs, dogs and cats only live so long. Um, and yeah, you took everything you great. could want with you into the afterlife. Great. Oh, I love that. That's great. Everybody had a great time. <laughs> it was chill. Okay. So what's next page? <laughs> well, I, I did want to mention this cause it, it, I wanted to mention something funny, but, uh, so you start to see the practice sort of fade away around the fourth century with Roman rule and the introduction of Christianity. And the reason I didn't want to miss this is because it made me think about when I was younger, I mean, much younger, I asked my mom one day if she was alive when the mummies were alive. (laughs) I love it. Oh my God. Yes. Obviously, um, at the time, I did not realize what I was asking, but <laughs> yes, um, and and I just want to take this additional moment to to give a very special shout out to those like end stage mummies because yeah, like obviously by the time um, like after the death of Cleopatra and like once it was like you know firmly Roman time. Um, and especially once it started becoming, it started to be like becoming Christianity time. Um, yeah. Uh, 
the poor mummies from those later years. They're so bad. They're so oh, bad. No. It's, like, it's like, you know, gold star, an attempt was made. Mummies. Oh, and no. They were doing their best, but it wasn't good. And so, um, <laughs> whenever they find some, it's, it's, um, so like there, there were originally some like good, you know, good mummies around that time. I mean, uh-huh. that's why we have the, um, the, the Fayum mummy portraits. Um, those, those portraits and those mummies are from these Roman periods, like the earlier part of the Roman period. Okay. Um, but, um, <laughs> those were the nice ones. Um, not all of them were that nice. And there are some, uh, there are mummies that they find outside of Alexandria out by, um, a site called Taposiris Magna. Um, mm which is where Dr. Kathleen Martinez is working. And they found a lot of really cool, really intriguing um, Cleopatra related and time period stuff. Um, mm. But uh, they've also found some Ptolemaic and thereabouts uh, mummies and, they're so sad and they're falling apart because they were not qualified <laughs> oh. well. Cause it was just like, we're doing our best, but we've kind of, we're kind of forgetting how to do this, but we still want to do it. So we're oh. trying. And it's like an attempt was made. <laughs> That's a bummer. <laughs> so it's like they're, they're doing their best. They, they were really doing their best for a very long time. And then yeah. by the end, everyone was just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're doing other stuff. Yeah. Here's like a question that I should have looked up. Like, is <laughs> mummification a legal option right now? Oh, wait, I think I know the answer to this. Um, <laughs> technically, no. Okay. But there is a place in Colorado oh. that does it. But it's, like, really, really hard to, like, f- make it happen. Because I think uh-huh. I think the thing is, like, within the U.S., like, there's laws. Um, and sure. There's lots of laws and regulations about like, um, you know, mortuary stuff and burial. And I think most sure. places like you're almost required to be embalmed, which is why it's such like a, um, a thing where people are trying to get more like green burial options going. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's like, wow, it's, you know, so different and exciting and new and like, you know, breaking the mold. Um, and because mummification kind of goes against literally all of those, you know, like I'm uh, FDA rules or whatever. It's like, I, I'm sure it's not the <laughs> FDA, but like basically the FDA for yeah. mortuary stuff, like, because it it is not any of that, you know, yeah. basically everyone is just like, you can't do this. This isn't legal. So yes. it's in Colorado. I forget the name of it, but I've looked it up like four times in the last 10 years for okay. various so what reasons. So you're telling me is that the government wants to tell me what I can do with my body while I'm alive, but also they want <laughs> to tell me what I can do. Yes. And, also, <laughs> and also when you're dead. <laughs> How different is embalming real? I mean, like, I know it's different process, but like embalming chemicals are nasty. They're nasty. I mean, it's, just it's, get fluid, it's putting fluid in and then mummification is getting all the fluid out. Yeah. So you take all the fluid well, out, but embalming is putting it all in. So you just like freeze that way. Ugh. And mummification okay. is yeah, like, but like, we gotta get why is like, why can we do one and not the other though? Right. You need to get someone who does like mortuary science and they will answer <laughs> all of that for you. Like, <laughs> You're telling us that you also don't do mortuary science. <laughs> I do not. No, see that, that's my whole thing. And that's like a kind of a running joke that I've had with like friends in the past, um, you know, who've done like forensic anthropology and friends who are mm-hmm. morticians and stuff like that. It's like, you got to tack at least two zeros onto the date of this person before I even get involved. Like if, if any part is still squishy, 
<laughs> no, thank you. I am out. I am not involved. I will not be appearing in this film. Um, give me, I mean, e- honestly, even like, even the, um, the Egyptian mummies are like right on the borderline for me. Cause it's like, I can still tell who you are. It's a little weird. Um, I can look at you and you can look at me and like, yeah. I can be like, I like, what's up Ramses? How you doing? Yeah. Um, so you're out I've done for that. like, <laughs> I you're done out that. for like the Tolland man then. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, hard, that is a hard pass. Hard pass on the bog bodies. Hard pass on anybody who died on an Arctic or Antarctic expedition. Hard pass. Um, Good to know. Yeah, no, I do bones. Bones only. Great. <laughs> no gross bits. And that's something that people have told me needs to be on a shirt, so I might do that. Bones only, no gross bits. Yeah, no gross bits. No, there will be no squishy parts. That's the parts. name of the episode. Yeah. yeah, that is the name of the episode. I'm putting it in here right, right now. now. <laughs> so I remember. Yeah, no. No, no. no squishy bits for me, thank you. I, bones. Give me, like, the driest bones, and I will be happy. I will happily tell you what's, go- what's going on. <laughs> okay. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> I'm okay. Okay. Well, I've totally lost the thread. Yeah, I don't what know what's happening now. <laughs> you want to know who got mummified? Who I'm just got going down mummified? Got. Yes. Which apparently we were wrong, and that's Correct. funny because Paige, I read the same source that you did, which was like that's from like a Smithsonian yeah article well, also, or whatever. All I have to say, so I'm with you that I know I know basically nothing about this um, <laughs> except for this one piece of information, which I apparently did not know. <laughs> <laughs> what you so, thought you knew you didn't know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Annalise, uh, who was allowed to get mummified? <laughs> anybody. Anybody and everybody who could afford it. Um, it so, the, the, the story of mummification and, like, the, the ancient Egyptian concepts of the afterlife and burial practices as we know them today. Um, it had a couple of different phases of evolution and in the old kingdom. So like there's, there's three, there's three main chunks that ancient Egyptian history gets divided into. And that's old kingdom, middle kingdom and new kingdom. Okay. There are intermediate periods in between all of those. And so the, the old kingdom is when the pyramids were built. It was a period of immense prosperity, which is why they had all of the money and resources to build gigantic desert triangles, because (laughs) why not? And this was the period when they literally went from like zero to monuments, which is super cool and exciting. And everything related to the afterlife really was focused on the pharaoh because the pharaoh was literally like a god on the earth he was the Mm -hmm. divine embodiment of the god horus um literally a god walking amongst everyone and so all of the sort of ritual and preparation and stuff for the afterlife was pretty much pharaoh only Mm -hmm. um and which is why you know we have (laughs) gigantic pyramids and this is when a thing called the pyramid texts was sort of formulated. And these are, they call them the pyramid texts because in some pyramids, not all pyramids, um, <laughs> it is literally texts that are carved into the walls of the pyramids inside. Okay. The text is on the wall of the pyramid. So that's why we call it the pyramid texts. Um, and it's like all the, you know, the spells and hymns and stuff that you would need to have your, you know, best afterlife ever. And then as time goes on, 
the old kingdom prosperity goes away, people don't build pyramids anymore, but the afterlifey stuff kind of transitions and the the spells kind of then turn into a thing called the coffin texts and I will let you guess why they are called that. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're, they're in the coffins. Yeah. They put them in the coffins. <laughs> um, they took them off the walls and pyramids, put them in the coffins. Um, and that's, you know, you know kind of like Middle Kingdom ish. But then by the New Kingdom, the afterlife has basically been opened to everybody. And that's where we get um, the Book of Dead, which is not an actual book, which I know is a thing further down the topic list. And basically, this is it, you know, afterlife for anybody. And Afterlife options, burial options, tomb options, mummification options existed kind of on like a sliding scale. I think, I think there's actually like a quote from Herodotus, uh, that says, yeah, there's basically like three, three different types of service. Like, you know, your bronze, silver, and gold, and then maybe like a <laughs> platinum elite plus level or something. It's like basically, Depending on how much money you had, you could, you know, do up your, your afterlife and your mummification accordingly. So if you only had like a little bit of money, you could just get a yeah. super basic mummification, maybe an amulet or two, a couple spells, and you'd be good to go. If you were the Pharaoh, obviously you had a lot of money, so you could do it up mm. and everything in between. So there you go. And yeah, basically every, everybody who could afford it was mummified. Gotcha. And the quality would vary accordingly. Um, and the only people who weren't mummified were, I don't know, like super terrible criminals or something like mm-hmm. that. Because the, I mean, the whole idea was to preserve the body for the afterlife so that the soul could come back in because like the thing that was actually the most terrifying thing for the ancient Egyptians was being denied an afterlife and dying a second death, Mm. which is what would happen if, you know, you weren't uh, buried correctly with the proper rituals or, um, you know, didn't have all the things that you needed or, uh, you know, nobody to come back to, failed your trials in the afterlife, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you're saying that they they weren't taking criminals and mummifying them alive like I have been led to believe. (laughs) No, that is, that is incorrect. And also, like, honestly, like, you would not get very far into that mummification process being alive. Like, your body would go into shock so fast. Yeah. And then you would die. Yeah. (laughs) That was sort of, like, one of the, um, coming back to the mummy, like, I promised we would. That was, like, one of those scenes that, like, just really squicked me out when I was a kid. Like, I, and it still sort of gets to me. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super weird. And, like, and watching that again, again, recently, I was just like, this this wouldn't even work. And it's like, yeah, n- no part of this would actually work. <laughs> and then also, yeah, realistically, like, that's one of my, one of my peeves is, like, watching movies and seeing, like, unrealistic reactions to things happening so like you know the sure you you get stabbed once and then you die um or uh, (laughs) in this case like getting mummified alive it's like no (laughs) you'd be dead so fast you would like Uh, like, your body would go into shock so fast (laughs) you gotta take everything out and it's like oh my god no no like immediate death (laughs) yeah well yeah i feel your i feel your pain i'm a geologist by training i guess so there's a lot of geology <laughs> inaccuracies in various disaster movies but yes anything anyway. volcanoes <laughs> pretty much yeah it's like a i'm screaming at the tv half the time um <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, so I guess a couple follow-up questions to this. Okay. Well, you mentioned it. So the Book of the Dead isn't a book, but it is a real thing. Correct. What is it? <laughs> um, so the Book of the Dead is a collection of all of these spells and uh, rituals that you would need to have all of the best success navigating your afterlife journey. So it was mostly the uh, spells that the deceased person would need to say to pass through the various gates that they would need to pass through. There were like 12 gates that you need to pass through, like in, you know, what is essentially, for, for lack of a better description, an underworld. Yeah. You know, you go on your little journey, um, and there's 12 gates, and each gate is guarded by, um, like, a spell. So you need to know the spell to say, and then there's, like, usually a monster there. So you need to say the correct spell to get through the gate, and the monster's like, all right, cool, have fun, bye. Um, if you don't do that, you get, like, knocked off knocked off your little, like, underworld boat, and you die. That's your second death, and that's it for you. No afterlife. Oh, Lord. So you're saying, like, you die, and then you have to, like, take a test, basically. <laughs> basically, which is why it's like, you need, you know, go get your book of the dead. Um, get like, your, like the afterlife immigration test. It's like, like an obstacle course, like an afterlife yeah. obstacle course. Um, and then the idea was, you know, like you pass through these gates. It's like twelve gates, one per hour, because they divided the days and day, hours of the the day and the night into things. Oh. And uh, eventually pass through these gates, and then you get to the Hall of Judgment, in which everyone's friend and pal Anubis um, will escort you in. You get to say what's up to Osiris, and he just kind of sits there <laughs> and hangs out. He, he seems like a very quiet guy. He just hangs. <laughs> And there's an entire row, like, panel of other deities who are just sitting up there just kind of, like, quietly judging you. Okay. I'm going to assume it's quietly judging, but in my mind, it's funnier if everyone's doing the, like, Rosalia, like, Miscochito sort of, like, judging. Um <laughs> And just sort of like, mm-hmm, who is this? Um, but anyway, you go in, Anubis, you know, escorts you in, um, and then your heart is weighed against a, a feather, which is a little cute little representation of the goddess Ma'at, um, who is balance. Um, usually it's called the feather of truth, but it's mostly balance because balance is literally the most important thing in the Egyptian world. Yeah. Literally. And hopefully, if you have been a good person, your heart will weigh less than the feather, in which case it's like, you know, your heart is not weighed down by things. Mm -hmm. It goes back to you, and then they're like, good job, congrats. And then your your soul goes and eventually finds its mommy self, and then you have a nice afterlife, and everybody's cool. If it does not, <laughs> in the event that your heart weighs more than the feather of truth, it gets unceremoniously punted um, <coughs> behind the scales of judgment to this monster that actually everyone is now familiar with because of Moon Knight. Yeah, um, Amut, I was going to say, um, I do give know. Give it up for Amut, um, <laughs> who is half, half hippo, half lion, half crocodile, half snake, and your heart gets chopped and that's it. So Great. There you go, the end. Well, here's what we've learned is that the other little bit that I know about Egyptian stuff is from Moon Knight. <laughs> I was yes. going to say the same thing. The only Egyptian stuff I know oh, is from is so the Moon Knight. Although I guess like kudos to yeah. Moon Knight for like doing their research and putting in yeah. some accurate things, at least. You to, know, yeah. they, you know, for, for a Marvel, for a Marvel production, 
I, I went in, you know, sort of like cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. and I was pleasantly surprised. There you go. That's like, that's like the highest praise you can get for, uh, I don't know. That Mar- type Mar- of thing Mar- from an archaeologist. Mar- <laughs> mythology and right. ancient, uh, ancient <laughs> religions and concepts. Looking at you, Thor. Um, yeah. <laughs> Problematic favorites. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I doubt that we have time to get into why Thor is problematic, but I no. am so curious. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about it later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to, to actually answer the question, the Book of the Dead is not a book. It is not yeah. a physical book. It does okay. not have pages. Um, it is more of an idea, um, a compendium. There was no one, like, central source okay. or, like, tome somewhere. Um, and uh, it exists in the form of papyrus scrolls. And okay. you could get, you know, as many or as few pages or, you know, scrolls, essentially, made of it as you could afford. Um, and the most famous one is the Papyrus of Ani. Um, and it's very pretty and it's pretty, pretty darn complete. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So my other question about this, and I think I sort of answered it myself because I was reading through, um, uh, Jeb Card's chapter in spooky archaeology about like Egyptian stuff. And he said that, that curses, like, I mean, not that they exist, but, like, that they did have, like, text and stuff, places where they would curse certain tombs or whatever. So, like, that, that is a thing. Yeah, like, sort of. Like, it is, it is a thing, but not in the way we've all been led to believe okay. it is a thing. Curses were mostly just sort of, like, warnings. Mostly just, like, keep out. Please do yeah. not rob me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, or please don't steal me. Um, in the case of <laughs> objects. Um, yeah. and they were really not super common. And like, I'm, I had to, I had to look this up. Maybe it was for the TikTok that I did ages ago, but there really aren't examples of like royal curses, like pharaohs, you know, having okay. a curse above their tomb or something like that. It was kind of, I think most of the examples actually came from only like, noble tombs so just like okay. nobility and rich people and even yeah. then they're very rare and they're kind of generic in mm-hmm. the sense that it's just like you know keep out um yeah there's really only one that's like you know whoa okay dude come on now like why are you threatening me with crocodiles that's <laughs> dang, you know. um but yeah, yeah for the most part it's just like please keep out <laughs> probably mostly yeah mostly like please don't take my stuff so i can have a good afterlife so more like just to make people think twice about doing it (laughs) exactly and for the most part nobody thought twice everybody just went right in and took stuff even back in the ancient day um looting and you know robbing of wealthy tombs was so common (laughs) yeah super super common yeah it happened all the time yeah that's not surprising (laughs) to me yeah it's like you know with the the way the society was arranged, you know, the, the rich were often very rich and the poor were often very poor. And if you were, you know, poor and or had an artisan friend who had maybe worked on a tomb, they could like show you where the tomb was. And then you could just kind of go in and take a couple things and you'd be safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. So, uh, I guess sort of, I don't know, along, along the lines of, well, here's my, here's my 
thoughts about this or what I think about this based on other similar topics that we talked about. So like, I'm guessing that like the whole idea of like mummies and pyramids and tombs and stuff like that, like it was not spooky in the way that it is to us today, like to the ancient Egyptians. (laughs) Correct. Uh, Death was an incredibly normal um part of life um it was yeah. you know something that uh the the living and the dead interacted all the time all the right. time all the time it was super super normal nothing spooky or creepy about it i mean every single uh well if you if you go to egypt um all the big temples and stuff like mm-hmm. that especially uh, if you go to uh, the Valley of the King. So anything on the left side of the river, um, cause the west was, uh, for the dead and the east was for the living. <laughs> Sunrises and sunsets, all of yeah. that jazz. All of the big mortuary temple complexes. So, and that includes pyramids. They all had, um, a part of the temple complex that was used for living, for the people to come and interact uh, ritually and ceremonially with the spirit of the deceased. So this was like okay. a very normal thing. And, you know, depending on who it was, especially if it was like a Pharaoh, this could go on for like, even, you know, a hundred, 200 years after the, the Pharaoh's yeah. death, like keeping yeah. that alive. Yeah. Which I mean, like, you know, it, it sounds sort of strange, but then it's like, well, people do the same, like people visit their relatives' graves and stuff and it's the exact talk same thing. to them it or hang out. The yeah. exact same thing. Like you go, you bring like flowers, you bring their favorite yeah. food, you hang out, you talk to them, you have conversations. Right. It's the exact same thing. So this was yeah. an incredibly normal thing. And yeah. Um, yeah, the living, living space, spaces for the living and spaces for the dead, um, often overlapped and there was a ton yeah. of interaction. So it was not spooky or creepy. Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I think, you know, we're so far removed from all yes. of that. And we've had all this sort of like cultural stuff that has made it seem like very alien and mummies have become like a, a, a spooky, scary thing, but. Yeah, but it's just good to remember, like, these are people too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've run across the, which I should have shared a couple with Paige, which I know how much she loves when I share TikToks with her. But um, (laughs) but I don't know if you've come across the Egyptology guy. We're mutuals. Yay, we are too. Uh, (laughs) It's a small uh, world. But I love that he posts translations of like ancient Egyptian letters and graffiti. Oh my God, it's the best. It's it's the best thing. Yeah. Like some of them are funny or they're just like sort of crude. And it's like, it's just a reminder. Like these are just people the same way that we are. They're, you know, thinking some of the same things, having the same urges and stuff. And like that, that is, that is the biggest thing I try I try my best to convey to yeah. people about like the ancient world and ancient people. It's just like, they, they're us. They, yeah. they're not just like <laughs> us. They're us. They have the same problems and concerns that we do. Like they had, yeah. they had grocery mm-hmm. lists. They had laundry lists. <laughs> like they, they would yeah. send a note to their friend, be like, Hey, you haven't written me in forever. We're like, what's up? Are we, aren't we friends? What's going on? <laughs> they, birthday party invitations. They would invite people to birthday parties. Um, yeah. they would do it on things. They had jokes. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So anyway, just just making the point that yeah, we've we've got all this stuff to make it seem like this mysterious, spooky thing, and it's like well, yes. And I mean, no. like a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that also comes down to um, our good friend Orientalism, and um, yeah, right, and the fact that um, even back in the ancient day, 
other ancient people saw the Egyptians as kind of like, you know, whoa, you guys are kind of like doing some weird mystical stuff over oh, here. Okay. What's up with that? You're different. <laughs> this is different. Okay. I mean, cause like, I mean, you know, if you asked an ancient person back in the day, um, like the, the tradition of oracles, like having, you know, oracles and divination and stuff like that, that came from Egypt. Yeah. Okay. So like it goes all the way back. The, the sort of, you know, regarding, uh, ancient Egyptians, um, their practices, their religion, all of that, and their, their decoration, <laughs> uh, their yeah. interior design, um, as, you know, different and kind of mystical and interesting and like, Ooh, what's that? Um, yeah. it's, it's been there since like day two. Um, this yeah. is a long tradition. Um, yeah. and it just kind of kept going, especially once people, became more interested and like, you know, obviously it all got like a huge boost once everyone decided they wanted to be antiquarians. Yeah. And yeah, then it just kicked (laughs) in the high gear. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that brings us to the Victorians who like, it's a theme on this podcast that they ruin a lot of things, but, uh, they were like, well, we should just like grind up mummies and eat them for medicinal purposes, but also, which is hilarious because it's actually not, the Victorians. They That's didn't start earlier it. than that, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Blame the Renaissance. <laughs> this is like a fully Renaissance situation okay. that was actually like on its way out. And then okay. Napoleon did his whole like, I'm going to go march into Egypt thing and publish this whole giant book with all these pretty illustrations and look how weird and cool and mystical Egypt is. And then that just sparked <laughs> it right back up again. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, like nobody was gnawing on like arms or like, yeah. Legs. Yeah. No one's like literally. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I put in the notes. I was like, we're not talking about like human beef jerky here. Yeah. It's, like, correct. Grinding then, them yes. up. <laughs> yeah. Like the idea was like, as far as I understand it, it was like, Oh, you have a headache. Like, well, it makes sense that we're going to grind up some skull and like have you drink it in a tonic or whatever. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, as much as I wonder about the practicalities of all that, I mean, and, and that, that is at its core also like a weird moment of Orientalism because yeah. like the only reason someone decided to put like ground mummy powder into a weird tincture back in the 16th century was because sure. it was, you know, a mystical object from yeah. the equally mystical land of Egypt. So it must have magical healing properties. Of course yeah. it does. Throw it yeah. in the tincture. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of, yeah, it's just me. It's just like, it's just sort of this pattern of like dehumanizing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It is like, like you're not going to feel great about. (laughs) Yeah. No, like no, nobody's having a good time with this one. It's like a hundred percent like dehumanizing othering. Um, and you know, again, cause like everybody was super, super mega Christian at the time too. Um, that helped with the othering cause it's like, oh, it's, you know, from this weird mystical, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pagan past, you know, and then of course mystical Egypt, which is, you know, that's how everybody saw it. (laughs) So just like, guys, knock it off. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to a specific story of a specific mummy, which is, King Tut. Yes! <laughs> to my uh, period! Let's go! <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, King Tut is short for, I think it's Toot and Common, but it is. you gotta it, tell me. It's Toot and Common. I mean, Toot and Common. Okay. Yeah, it's toot, uh, toot Ankh Amun. Toot and Common. Common. Okay. Yes. Uh, but he was Pharaoh for 
about 10 years from age 9 to age 19. And I, yeah, I see here that you put maybe 17, 18. Yeah, for all of the dates for the Amarna period, just add ish to the end, yeah. to the end of each and every one of them because right. it's yeah. about to get weird. <laughs> uh, but this was around 1324 BC or ish. Ish. <laughs> Uh, and I did see a few things call him the child king. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which is, uh, which I, as I noted, is hilarious because it was super normal for a pharaoh to ascend to the throne when they were like six. This yeah. is a normal thing. So like all of these guys were, were child kings at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But they had like advisors and stuff. Yeah. Or they, they'd have advisors. They'd usually have yeah. a co-regent until they were actually like, properly old enough to make their own decisions. I mean, right. all of that. All of right. That. Yes. So he was the grandson of Amenhotep the third. Um, God damn it. <laughs> it's okay. Welcome, welcome to ancient Egyptian names. So yeah, Amenhotep. You can either like chop them into two parts or three parts, depending on how okay. long the name well, is. Well, so. good news is we have an expert here to correct our pronunciation. <laughs> Amenhotep III, who was apparently a big deal. Yeah, uh, he was stuff. also known as the Magnificent and the Great, and he reigned during a time of great prosperity when Egypt was... I guess you can confirm at its peak in terms of culture and international power. Yeah. So, um, uh, Tutankhamun, Amenhotep and the whole family, they were alive and kicking it during the new kingdom, which was exactly that a period of immense prosperity. Uh, you know, everyone was having a great time, international trade and influence all over the place. Um, and that, that started uh, with a wonderful, wonderful lady named uh, Hatshepsut. And by the time it got down to these folks, um, they they just kind of tanked it all. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, it kind of sounds like uh, his dad, which I'm going to let you just lead with the pronunciation here because I have no idea. That's our good friend, Akhenaten. 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 <laughs> yeah, so Akhenaten. Okay. So he was apparently controversial. Yes. Or just was like sort of shitty at being pharaoh. <laughs> but he had some like weird uh, like religious reforms that he put in place, like flipped around where things were. And King Tut sort of had to come in and fix that or attempt to at least. But shall maybe I? that didn't stick. <laughs> you shall. Excellent. <laughs> so let's go to the Amarna period. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it is called the Amarna period because, uh, it takes us to a city that is now called Amarna, uh, El Amarna in modern day Egypt. And yeah, so Amenhotep III, who is grandpa in this story, it was, yeah, he was like a, you know, he was a good pharaoh. Um, he did good stuff. People seemed to like him. Um, he did not suck at his job. Things were going well. He had his children. Good times. What is simmering in the background of this story during the later years of the reign of Amenhotep III is that uh, the Egyptians were kind of having a little bit of a philosophical moment. And by the Egyptians, I mean probably a few people in the <laughs> royal court and not the country and people as a whole, because for the most part, the average person in ancient Egypt was just busy living their lives. They were minding yeah, their business, right. tending to their fields, doing their craft, whatever. They literally did not care about what was happening in the royal palace. Yeah. 
as as we are mostly familiar with, if not like very, but like, you know, from culture, the Egyptian religion had a lot of gods and goddesses and, you know, something for everything, aspects for everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. Lots of deities to choose from. This was a normal thing. Mm-hmm. During this period of time, um, people were kind of getting into this thing called, um, it's called by academics. I don't know if it was actually called that. Probably not. The new solar philosophy in which people were spending a whole lot of time thinking about the sun and how it's super cool and important, which mm-hmm. obviously, yes, we know this, but you know, what if it was somehow even cooler and even more important? Um, and they started thinking about all the different aspects of the sun and, um, started focusing on the, the actual, like the circle, the disc itself, the sun disc, okay. which was actually a, a deity, a minor deity called Aten that already existed, but it was just like, you know, one of the like six aspects of the sun you could choose from. So people started kind of having, having a little bit of a moment focusing on the sun disc and this Aten. And Amenhotep III was kind of into it. He's like, that's cool. I mean, obviously, as Pharaoh, <laughs> who is, you know, that that's basically like my, my sibling up there, you know, this is cool. And this relates yeah. to me because this just makes me more awesome. So I'm in uh-huh. Amenhotep III transitions out and he actually has uh, uh, several children to choose from um, mm. being, being the Pharaoh that he is. And he had uh, two sons, uh, Tutmos and uh, Amenhotep the fourth. Unfortunately, Crown Prince Tutmos dies. He died early, kind of unexpectedly. Um, I don't think we're really sure how or why he died. I'm going to just guess maybe he got a fever because that was a <laughs> that yeah, was actually right. an acceptable way to go. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you just got a fever and it, it didn't work. So that meant that the younger son, Amenhotep the fourth, suddenly got an upgrade. He got to be the crown prince. And so when his, uh, you know, when his father was sort of like in his elderly years, they were uh, co-regents for a little bit. And so in my mind, I see this as like, you know, you have like, obviously the the brother that was like prepped and primed to be the crown prince and be the pharaoh. And then the other one who was just kind of like off in the corner being weird. Um, So now we get the weird kid. The weird kid is now king. And let that set the stage for everything. And so Amenhotep IV enters the story. He gets to rule with his elderly father for a couple of years and then eventually becomes pharaoh in his own right. They're thinking that there was maybe about 10 years where he was ruling with his father. Um, and then Amenhotep III dies and everything was pretty normal. It's yeah. just like normal pharaoh stuff. You got your normal statues, you got your normal names, you got your normal building projects. Very normal. Uh-huh. And then he gets to be solo pharaoh. And again, we're doing pretty good at first. Um, you know, he does his normal proclamations, his normal building projects. He takes his wife, um, a nice gal named Nefertiti. Everybody's having a good time until about the fifth year of his reign. When and, and again, there's there's a lot of issues and question marks because <laughs> after after this period was over, they did such a good job of eradicating any mention of this family. Um, so all of this information is being pieced together literally from like teeny tiny fragments. Oh, okay. And references on other things in other places. So there's a lot of question marks and a lot of like, you know, we think it's around this, you know, I mean, 
to this day, people are devoting their lives as Egyptologists to studying this time period and trying to get like the timeline right. Yeah. And it's great. But yeah, so around year five of Amenhotep IV's reign as pharaoh, um, I think he's a teen. He's somewhere in his teens at this point. Mm -hmm. He decides to change his name. Because he has also apparently been uh, getting into this new solar philosophy. And so he changes his name from Amenhotep IV to Akhenaten. Oh. Um, adding the Aten to his name because that's his thing now. That is now his thing. And shifting the uh, the focus from uh, Amun, which uh, was a creator god. And so he changes his name and everyone's like, I'm sorry, what? Um, and decides <laughs> that um, due to uh, a lot of pushback from the rest of the royal court and the advisors and the almond priests and like, you know, literally everybody you would be involved with as ruler of this country. Um, he's like, I hear what you guys are saying and I don't care because I'm Pharaoh. So I'm going to make a new capital and oh, no. it's going to be a whole city <laughs> where we are going to do nothing but Aten stuff. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs> um, and he literally picks up the entire royal court and moves it north to an empty space, <laughs> an empty land, and builds a city from scratch. Um, oh, no. And that becomes a city that he calls Akhetaten. Oh, my gosh. It's bananas. It's absolutely <laughs> bananas. And I think the two most important things that I think the general public don't know, because... The general, the general average person is not going to these like Zoom lectures, um, <laughs> where people are talking about, you know, the latest stuff dealing with the Amarna period and stuff like that is that mm -hmm. it was not monotheism. Uh, that's the biggest thing. So people always say Akhenaten, you know, he introduced monotheism to ancient Egypt. Oh my gosh, was this a precursor to like Christianity or something like that? No, hard no. The, the reality of it was almost closer to Hinduism in the sense that it was, it was focusing on an aspect. So the, you know, the other gods and goddesses were not like obliterated. Um, he just sort of decreed because, you know, as a pharaoh, you can do that. Um, yeah. it's like, cool. Um, we're not going to pay attention to any of that. We are focusing everything on the <laughs> sun. That's what's happening. And, and, you know, that was simply an aspect, one of several aspects of the sun and the sun god and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all, and you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt, the ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words, my story from my perspective because I know you'll hear other versions, because I want you to have a chance to believe mine, or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. Yeah, so Akhetaten did not last very long. The whole yeah. thing was basically built like plywood, um, you know, like ancient Egyptian <laughs> plywood. Yeah. It went up so fast, like a shopping mall. And, you know, it was good times if you were the pharaoh. It was bad times if you were anybody else. Um, and then when Akhenaten died, the mystery deepens. Because his exact 
time, date, place of death is not known. But at some point after his death, um, you know, we get then get Tutankhamun. Uh, his son yeah. becomes Pharaoh. And at the time, um, his, his birth name was Tutankhaten because everyone's having their Aten moment. Yeah, little, uh, Tutankhamun, uh, becomes Pharaoh. And he then, you know, likely via advisors and, you know, people who are actually adults, then begins the task of undoing everything yeah. and putting everything back in place. And everyone was like, oh, the crazy guy's gone now? Cool. We're going back to Thebes. Bye. Um, let's leave this place and go home. Tutankhamun uh, married his half-sister? I think she was mm-hmm. a half-sister. Um, everybody's <laughs> like half-siblings in the story. Like, it's, it, it's like, we're, we're, we're going Targaryen. Game of Thrones all, all up in this. Like, everybody's <laughs> married to everybody. And I guess, family tree-wise, I'm going to see if I can do this from the mental family tree. So, Tutankhamun was Akhenaten's son, but not by Nefertiti. Tutankhamun was likely... His, Tutankhamun's mother was very likely one of the secondary wives that Akhenaten okay. had. Um, because, uh, you know, they did all those uh, genetic tests back in 2009. And that's where the DNA went. And then Tutankhamun's half-sister wife, um, Anka Sanaman, <laughs> um, was also from, like, another secondary or maybe tertiary wife or something okay. like that. Hey there, campers. My name's Kimmy. And my name's Ryan. We've noticed you stumbled upon our mystical campfire, so that means there's a solid chance you have some questions. Like... Why am I here? What's going on? And why are there cryptid and folklore creatures everywhere? And should I be worried about the Mothman dressed as a camp counselor swooping down to steal my s'mores? Well, you've stumbled upon the Alorian Campgrounds. Alorian is a folklore podcast where every episode we dive into the history and lore of different creatures and cryptids you see wandering around these campgrounds. And during each episode, we discuss the sightings, encounters, poems, history, fun, facts, and pop culture focused on our campfire topic that week. We hope through shared experience, we can learn and make light about all the unknown corners of the universe. So come take a seat around the campfire, make yourself at home, and listen to Alluring Today anywhere podcasts are heard. Or watch videos on YouTube, or even go to our website, alluring.com. That's A-L-O-R-E-I-N-G dot com. I guess now we're going to talk about his death. So, sorry, yeah, sorry, buddy. Oh, this poor child. Oh, this yeah. poor, poor child was not long for the world anyway. Yeah, I mean, homeboy had so many physical ailments and issues. Like, oh my god, it's a miracle this child lived to be like eighteen or seventeen, eighteen. However, however old he was <laughs> when he died, it's a miracle he made it that far. Yep, yeah. So they've they've scanned his body and done DNA testing, and and there's evidence that he had multiple malaria infections over the course of his life. His leg was like infected and broken. He had a bone disease that left him with a clubbed foot. Yeah, uh, he had the yeah. clubbed foot to begin with. Um, he had, yeah, like club foot. He did have a bit of a cleft palate. Um, oh, the club dear. foot meant that he had, you know, mobility issues, obviously. And then like, you know, based mm-hmm. on the, the, the CT scan, it's just like mm-hmm. very painful. Malaria, the the injury on his leg, that's that is the the most likely candidate for the thing that caused his death because of uh where it is. I think it's like on his on or like very, very close to his knee 
you know, whatever this mm-hmm. injury was, you know, I know one of the popular things was like, oh, maybe he like fell off a chariot or something like that. It was like, oh, this child would not be on a chariot. Oh my gosh. No, no, <laughs> no. But you know, whatever happened that caused this injury, where the type of injury it was, it was like really gnarly. And because of where it is, you know, it is very likely that there would have been uh, an infection and sepsis. And that brings us to the end of Tutankhamun's story. And because he died a lot sooner than anybody thought he was going to. Right. They kind of just, I mean, obviously, you know, mummified the pharaoh in in the correct and proper ways. um, And then just shoved everything into the tomb and shut the door. And that was that. (laughs) And that was uh, in the, the Amarna period kind of petered, petered out for a couple of years Mm -hmm. after that, because obviously um, Angasanamen was still alive. And she was like, uh, well, I'm the former Pharaoh's wife. So do I get remarried? What am I doing here? Yeah. And then eventually the dynasty came to an end. The next dynasty that stepped up to the plate, they, did uh this i think this is where uh seti seti the first comes in he did a fantastic job of eradicating any and all mentions of these weird couple of years so that he would be seen as directly succeeding uh amenhotep the third and uh and history cruised right along until is it 1922? Yeah. When, uh, when Howard Carter rocked up and found him. Like Annalise was talking about, a lot of the stuff about him and his family was sort of erased, like by... Uh, it wasn't sort of erased. It was actually... It was erased. <laughs> but, yeah. Erased by hard. Their, <laughs> by their predecessors. So it's been like hard to untangle everything about their family. And so my impression was sort of like he gets all of his notoriety because of how publicized the finding and excavation of his tomb was in 1922. So it's like funny to me, because like, I know so little about ancient Egypt and stuff. But it's like, if you had to tell me like, oh, name a pharaoh, like he's probably the only one that I could name. (laughs) Pretty much, which is hysterical. Yeah, because like this guy, like he was only pharaoh for like, you know, maybe, maybe 10 full years, maybe. And most of them were when he was like a small child. He himself didn't really do too much, but this kid has fully won the immortality game. He wins. Everybody knows his name and will know his name forever. His tomb ended up, you know, being conveniently sort of forgotten about and, you know, buried, like the entrance got buried by rubble from the construction of another tomb nearby. The names all got erased from public monuments. So it's just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it completely completely hidden and forgotten about, which is why everything was still inside uh, when Howard Carter and team cracked open that door. Yeah, I uh, noted that I. it is funny because I remember like the very first time I learned anything, like anything at all about Egypt was when I was in elementary school music class and (laughs) we had to learn the King Tut rap. (laughs) And I don't know if either of you are familiar with this, but like I was convinced for a long time as an adult, like up until we're recording for or taking notes for this episode that I had just like made or like fabricated this memory and no, it exists. And I found it. And like, to this day, I remember the words. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the link of it right now. This is a... 
<laughs> something. I don't think any of this is uh, historically accurate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paige, you were going to talk a little bit about finding the tomb and... <laughs> The silliness that came afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> it is very silly. So you already mentioned that Howard Carter and his team, they were the ones who found it. And that happened in November t- 1922, which I was very excited about because we are now going to release this episode in November this year. Oh my God. So yeah, it'll so be happening for the like centennial <laughs> Tutankhamen stuff yeah. that's about to happen. Yeah, so this is officially the centennial king tut episode (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so after the discovery of the tomb there are a couple things that happen uh one of them is that apparently several people from carter's team or supposed visitors but have like these really bizarre deaths um (laughs) and i guess really really bizarre isn't even fair like they're just slightly odd deaths uh some people just died (laughs) yeah some just died some people just died and it mostly just one like one person in particular died (laughs) and his name was lord carnarvon (laughs) there are some mentions of like some people who like supposedly visited like being murdered or there being like an arsenic poisoning thing. But even if those stories are really, truly from people who visited the tomb, like it happened from somewhere between 1924 and 1930. So we're talking a span of six years that some people died, which like, yes, people die. Um, (laughs) Yes. Sometimes they die. Sometimes people just die. (laughs) Right. Um, And, like, several of Carter's team, or many of Carter's team members lived very long lives uh, and died at, like, an average age of 73 years old. So, like... like, including Howard Carter himself. Right. (laughs) So, nothing super weird there. Um, But you did mention uh, Lord Carnarvon. 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 (laughs) I, every time I read it, I want to read. I want to say like carnivorous. <laughs> <laughs> so he dies. Um, he he's like really the big one. I think this is like what sort of drives the whole Tut's curse thing. It's a death that's a result of a mosquito-borne disease. Like he gets bit by a mosquito and then dies and now everyone freaks out everyone's all in a tizzy um there's this letter written at some point by marie corelli who like apparently who like makes some mention that like there's some punishment that follows any rash intruder into a sealed tomb uh which is apparently like it comes from an ancient Arabic text, the Egyptian history of the pyramids. So she like writes this whole letter about how, um, you know, anybody who looks in the tomb is going to suffer. Well, so my first question was, how is Lord Carnarvon, how is he actually connected to the... Any of this. Yeah, to um, any of this. The, yeah, he was the financial backer. He was oh. the, the money behind okay. the, uh, the excavation. He was funding the whole thing. But, like, was he actually there when they opened it? Or is he just sort of, like... Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, he was there, and that's apparently when he gets this mosquito bite, which I think okay. is <laughs> whether yeah. or not that's even true, I don't know. Yeah, uh, dates, but there was- I came ready. I, I told you I brought receipts, and I brought them. Um, <laughs> so they they opened. They opened the tomb, like the front door to the tomb in, in like more or less, it was like me in November ish or in November 1922. Uh huh. They opened the burial chamber, the door to the burial chamber with all the pretty shinies in it on February 17th, 1923. So you can see there's a bit of time. March 6th, Lord Carnarvon, who had come to Egypt to be present for the opening of all these exciting things, is bitten by a mosquito, and then he dies on April 5th. That's got fast. It. Yeah. So, yeah, you got like a month. A month of having a bad time. I had read yeah. that, like, he had some other health issues, like, prior to that, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was also, like, older. <laughs> yeah. Older, leaning into elderly. So, you know, he he had that. In addition to the fact that he right. know, he had a mosquito bite that got infected. So apparently when they first opened the tomb, he makes an exclusive deal with the, the New York Times because he's trying to keep like other press away. He doesn't want, you know, everybody there. So he makes this exclusive deal so that way other press isn't there all the time. And this really upsets a journalist at the Daily Mail. Yes, because the Daily Mail had been trying to get the exclusive. Yes. <laughs> and I think it was the London Times, not the New York Times. Oh, yeah, uh, you're so right. You're yeah. so right. Because everybody <laughs> in the story is British now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this upsets the Daily Mail. And then after his death, he, this guy at the Daily Mail decides he is going to write these articles about this supposed curse. And really from there, like the curse idea just sort of like explodes. A bunch of it articles come about out of it. Control. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, like photos that are fabricated. There's just like all kinds of stuff that comes out that's like not. Yeah, like literally anybody who could be even like tangentially connected to Howard Carter or any of the work happening in Egypt, you know, if something happened to them, you know, just, you know, uh, they, they sneeze too hard. Maybe they just <laughs> randomly had a cancer curse. It was the mummy's curse. Stuff got them. And then like we had, there were people like Arthur Conan Doyle who was like tripling down, like, yes, a hundred percent. This is a mummy's curse. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So basically it's like when the curse gets, invented it's only Carnarvon who's died pretty much okay so then like (laughs) yeah so pretty much after that it's just like yeah anything goes wrong which like normal things go wrong or people are old and they die right it's like it's the mummy (laughs) yeah absolutely fully a hundred percent and the um the 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 curse like the actual you know air quotes curse itself Mm -hmm. comes from a misinterpretation of an actual inscription like an actual thing you know some text in the tomb and the the best part is if you don't believe me, you can go <laughs> to the Griffiths Institute, I think it's at Oxford, um, their website. They literally have all of the, you know, Howard Carter, Tutankhamun Discovery materials there, all of the photographs. They have Howard Carter's actual journals. So you can look with your own eyeballs and look inside the tomb as it was when they cracked open the doors and, mm-hmm. you know, see exactly where there is and is not writing. Ah, okay. So there's no writing on the doors. 
<laughs> there was no writing on the door frames. There was something that was, I think, above the bar, you know, not even above, like around or in the vicinity of the burial chamber that said, you know, something very generic about, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you're entering the, you know, the sacred precinct, you know, the sacred space, basically, of the, the king who will live forever and ever because he's king. It's like, yeah, this is a very yeah. standard inscription as far as ancient Egyptian tombs go. This is like by the book standard. Yeah. And that got misinterpreted to say to, you know, I will it's like, you know, I will kill all who cross the threshold into this sacred space. Like that's what it got turned into. And I think I remember reading at some point that like part of this article or somewhere along the line, somebody said that the curse was supposed to last like 23 years or something like that. Which is bizarre. Cause like, why would you put a time limit on a curse? Why would well, you yeah. That? Why would you put a time limit on it? But also like, if you're going to pick a time limit, like anyone who's somewhere between like 40 and 50, when they, you know, visit the tomb is probably yeah. going to have something bad happen to them yeah, by so the if you just, time. Like, if you know like, that, you can just plan your trip accordingly and like wait it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then the, the thing from the mummy the, the, um, was like, you know, death will come on swift winds to all who, you know, read from the book or whatever. <laughs> That's yeah. a paraphrase of the bad paraphrase translation of a curse that was made up that was supposed to be from Tutankhamun's tomb, which like literally does not exist anywhere. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And then, you know, something else again, tying it back to the mummy, someone, I, I found something that said that, you know, there was a, a statue of Anubis in the tomb that had this curse on it. And it's like, no, <laughs> none of this. Not no. a thing. <laughs> not, no, not a thing. This is like, you know, tell me, you know, nothing about hieroglyphs or ancient Egyptian language or writing without telling me, you know, nothing. Cause yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So the, the entire curse of Tutankhamun was made up by the daily mail. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So really, it's not the curse of King Tut. It's the curse of the Daily the Mail. Daily Mail. <laughs> yeah, it's their fault. Yeah. So I guess before we go, uh, obviously, thank you so much for coming on here and telling us all about King Tut and his family and everything interesting about mummies. Happy to. Anytime. Anytime. Before Paige does like our little sign off, do you want to just remind people where they can find you? Um, if there's like any projects or anything you want to plug or yeah, make sure that people know about this is the time. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to plug yet um, because the show that I'm working on right now is still in production, but when it is ready, to air, I will tell people about it. Um, Great. <laughs> uh, the thing with the, the Cabbage Patch Kids. Um, I will absolutely post post a, a thing uh, in places when it's ready to be seen by the public. And same with the other stuff that I'm working on. I can't talk about it yet because <laughs> that's, that's how this sort of works. Um, yeah. But If you tell um, us, we'll be cursed. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the meantime, uh, you can... As always, find me on the internet, uh, lurking or just sort of, uh, doing random things, posting unhinged content, um, <laughs> on, uh, Twitter, uh, and on TikTok and, uh, a little bit less on Instagram right now because I don't have anything interesting to post. I, I don't leave my house Monday through Friday. That, that's the, the truth of 
TV production. <laughs> so I don't really have a lot to post on Instagram, but you can, you know, go look at pictures of my cat and food that I've eaten in the past. Um, I, I will actually be going back to Egypt in October. I can say that much. Oh, that's um, awesome. So there will be a burst of content then. Because I'll have some awesome. interesting post. All right. Well, that wraps up episode 55 on Egyptian archaeology with Annalise. Tune in next time for a special holiday-themed episode. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on TikTok at Spooky Science, Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. Spooky Science Sisters is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.